Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Hi, everyone. Elaine and Diane here. And we know that you want your complex kids to grow up to be happy and independent. And yet you're not always sure how or when to help with that. In this podcast, we'll encourage you to collaborate with all kinds of complex kids and support them in navigating life and learning. And we'll interview leading experts from around the world, as well as parents in our own community, talking about how training for parents actually helps these complex kids. We'll talk about the issues we hear parents struggling with all the time and how a coach approach can support and empower your amazing young people. We won't tell you what to do. We're going to help you figure out how. So let's move on to the next conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. I am super, 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 super excited for this conversation with Cash Ashby. Cash, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, thank you for having me. You can read all about Cash on the website, on the show notes. Um, Cash is trans non-binary? Yes. Um, so pronouns are they, them, and is also a therapist and I asked, and is also a member of our community and a parent of complex kids. And so I asked Cash to come have a conversation with me about some of the issues that come up in our community a lot about when parents are starting to hear or see uh, their kids dancing with, struggling with experimenting with issues around gender and sexuality and cash's particular expertise is supporting teens i believe is that right teens and adults but i have a lot of teens that i work with yes yeah in this arena and so i really asked cash if if they would come in and help me understand better how to support parents better by like understanding some of the nuances of this. So before we get into that, tell us a little bit about who you are as a parent and as a provider and how you came to be doing this work. Okay. Um, I guess as a parent first. So I have two kids. My oldest is five, who I would classify as a complex kid. And I have a two-year-old. And we have a two-parent household, which is, you know, just a whole degree of other things with attachment and logistics and all of those things. Right. Um, and I stumbled upon sanity school from uh, my father's ADHD coach. And, um, <laughs> and I also I, had, I didn't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Cam got. Yeah. He referred me to you. And um, so my dad has ADHD. He was diagnosed at 70. I was diagnosed at age eight. I Um, I diagnosed at 40. So we're covering the gamut here. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And stumbled upon sanity school and, you know, really learned a lot from the program and really just put the focus back on, I think, where it belongs at least I can say for me, which is on myself, right? My relationship with my complex kid, right? And kind of breaking through, I think a lot of expectations that I've had as a, you know, as a parent on my kids and trying to constantly adjust that to each of my kids. Mm-hmm. And it's constant. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yep. It's like driving a car, like the tree comes closer and everything kind of. <laughs> yeah. You're, it's a, parenting is constant motion, right? It's not, there's nothing static. You don't get to that point where you stop, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And professionally, I am in private practice in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I mostly see youth online. 
Um, and I do consulting, you know, basically anywhere. I work with mostly youth as uh, my therapy clients and parents as consulting clients. So, and if and I recall, you you work with youth in both New Mexico and Florida. Is that what yes? I can I can work in Florida. I also have my license in California too. Great. So those are places that I can kind of you know legally work at doing therapy. Um, yeah. So that's you know this is a. I mean, queer is not anything new. Right. It seems like it's kind of everywhere these days, but it is something that is just really becoming more in the forefront of everyone's awareness. So, you know, doing kind of like gender therapy, which I don't really like that term, but because I don't think gender needs therapy. Right. We need, you, we need yeah. therapy for, you know, society and how we don't necessarily fit within, you know, those kinds of things. But had just kind of it wasn't something that I intended to do. I honestly I put my picture on psychology today with my profile. And I think there were a lot of people that were like, you, you, you (laughs) well, so let's start with this nuance that you've already brought up because I've been trying to figure out how to dance with this myself. And, you know, we have a Facebook group for parents of, and I was trying to name it, right. Is it, and I think, I don't even remember what I ended up with, with, because it's not gender issues. It's not. So I figured, I, I think I landed with queer neurodiverse kids. Or something like that. Yeah. Um, and queer is is a wonderful umbrella term now that when I was a kid was a slang slur term. So this is an interesting shift for those of you listening. Queer is a is a welcome term in the community. And and can you define it a little bit or just explain it? Well, I think it goes back to kind of, you know, people who don't necessarily fit in within the binary, meaning male and female, right? And cisgender and transgender, if I can just define that for a bit. Please. We don't, I don't want to get too technical and too, you know, into no, you're doing great. But I think it's important to know, you know, if you are assigned at birth, right? If you are come out of the womb and someone looks at your genitalia and says, you're a boy, you're a girl, right? And you grow up later in life, you know, whether it's three when you realize kind of what gender is or you're going through puberty and you're 12 or whatever, or you're in your 60s and you say, oh, yeah, I am a man. I am a woman. I am a girl. I am a boy. And those two things, your genitalia and your assigned sex at birth and your gender identity are the same. The word is cis means same in Latin. And so if those things are in alignment, then you are cisgender and you are, congratulations, you are in the majority of people in the world. So I'll just interject to say, so, and it took me years to figure out what cis meant. So thank (laughs) you. And I was a Latin person too. Um, But so I was born, I was assigned female at birth identify as female. I'm an adult who who still acts and performs and functions and thinks of myself as a woman in the world. I am cisgender. Yes. Yes. And I was assigned female at birth and probably at age four, I started saying dresses. Don't want that. Uh This kind of stuff. I don't want this kind of thing. I was different than my three older sisters. And It's just always been that way. And I don't feel like a man. I don't feel like a woman. I am non-binary, which is a very kind of umbrella term for a lot of people. But 
It's just that the binary of male and female just doesn't work for me. I'm somewhere in the middle, depending on kind of what we're talking about. Uh, And, you know, more like a continuum. So that's kind of, you know, so that does make me trans because those two things are not in alignment. So so why the term trans? Do you know? Say what? Why the term trans? Because I think trans is part of what creates the confusion for my generation. Because trans makes us think you're shifting Yes. Sometimes it's accurate and sometimes it's not. I mean, I, I really wonder where all of this stuff is going, right? Mm. As far as the nuances and things being able to, we're going to, we have very broad categories and be able to fill these in with more specificity. I think it, I'm really looking forward to right. it. But, you know, trans means opposite or across, right? Um, So if cis means same, then trans means opposite, which is a very binary kind of thought, right? If we only have male and female, you know, in a way, it took me a while to kind of really identify with the term trans, because if I'm in the middle, I'm not really across, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes binary people don't consider themselves trans. So, you know, it's just kind of... um, I'm going to make a vote for cis trans and non-binary that's my vote for the future okay okay (laughs) okay so for you and your experience this was identified pretty young at what point were you able to articulate that and start talking about that uh probably about yeah age three or four okay yeah so and you know and as a someone assigned female at birth who liked boy things you know, I was a tomboy, right? We have a term or, you know, I think it was more popular in the eighties, right. Where, you know, where, you know, that was pretty acceptable. People could unwrap their brain around that, right. Because (laughs) a girl wanting to, wanting to be like a boy is more acceptable because in a male dominated society. Right. Right. And if I were assigned female at birth, I mean, male at birth and wanted to be more feminine, I would have had a much harder time in life. So it's, you know, it's, it's a privilege that I, enjoy, that I have enjoyed and continue to enjoy. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I never really thought about that way, but I totally agree. And, and I think, you know, when I was coming up, it's not like this is new, as you say, right. This is, it's just how we define it as shifting. So for us, there was kind of gay and there was straight. And if you saw someone assigned male at birth who was inclined towards feminine things, you just assumed that was gay. And now we know that may or may not have anything to do with their sexuality. Right? Exactly. So exactly. Distinguishing between the way we identify our gender and the way that we express our sexuality. And we're not going to go too far down that rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> but so if you knew it young, at what point did you start claiming it or articulating it? Or did, did the world start shifting? Like, when did this become a consciousness for you as opposed to just way being? I think, oh, I mean, gender stuff, it's just always, it's always been there since I can Mm -hmm. kind of remember with the, you know, with three and four, I came out when I was 20. I probably knew in high school, but worked pretty hard to push that away. I knew, you know, gay adults, but I didn't, I went to a very small school and didn't really, it wasn't talked about. I went to high school in Florida. So it was, it was just not something that was, you know, I didn't live in a very like gay friendly part of, part of the world, part of the country um, necessarily. Right. And when I had, you know, my first girlfriend at 20 and came out to my parents. So, 
And it's really been, you know, more of an adult journey as the world has kind of brought more awareness to to gender and gender outside the male female binary then i have felt more comfortable in being able to take up space but it's nothing new it's just that the world has created more there's been a little bit more representation and there's been more of consciousness and education and those kinds of things. So I, along with everyone else was kind of more educated and was like, Oh, this fits for me. Right. Yeah. It was first, it was like gender queer, you know, and then it was non-binary. And um, so that's just been kind of as, as an adult being able to, to wrap words around it, but I've always been the same. This person. is who you are. Right. Yeah. So one of the reasons I asked you to have this conversation with me is because I get, I've been getting a lot of questions from parents. So there's, there's this one storyline or paradigm that you're describing, which is, you know, when you look back, it's like, it makes sense. You've always been who you are and it's always been clear. I look at my eldest child and, and, when they came out as non-binary, it's like, yeah, well, that makes sense, right? <laughs> like, it all makes sense. I've got a lot of parents who are coming to me with parents of, who are parents of young teens, yeah. in particular, sometimes younger, but usually young teens or somewhere in their teens, and who are saying, there was no evidence of this before. All of a sudden, my kid has gotten into this group of friends. They're hanging out with this people, this this group of friends who are queer kids in different ways. And now my kid wants to transition or now my kids, you know, like they're seeing some profound change. But when you look back on their life, there's not the evidence. So help me understand what's different there and how to how to talk to people about that. I mean, it's pretty common, right? It's not everyone has the story where they were three or four years old and really wanted He-Man underwear and there weren't any in the house, right? Which is like, which is my story. But I get this question a lot from parents and it doesn't mean that your kid's gender identity is any less valid because they loved Barbies and dolls and they were assigned female at birth and now they you know, are not on that same wavelength. Right. And puberty is a time where a lot of this stuff comes up, right. This Mm -hmm. can be usually like when children recognize, like start to understand what gender is, right. Which can be as young as two or three, that can be a point in which kids start expressing their gender in a different way than they were assigned. Puberty can be another one because basically your body's being pushed down, you know, a path that you may not want it to go down. Right. It's, it's harder to deny that. Right. And then, you know, sometimes when sexuality is more of a thing, right. Mm. High school, college, those kinds of things, but you know, sexuality is something that kind of (laughs) continues to expand. Right. And gender tends to, you know, to people have different realizations throughout their lifespan. So I would say, you know, I know that it can be kind of, I don't know if unnerving is the right word, but to parents to say, you know, is this, this is not in alignment with the kid that I know. Right. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest thing with that is to respect because gender is an internal kind of situation, right. Mm -hmm. Being able to go with that and respect that they know themselves and, you know, could it change? Yeah, it could change. I don't think that that's you know super likely, but it, things do change, right? But as far as a kid saying, you know, I think that I'm a boy. I think that I'm non-binary. I want to change my pronouns. 
right? Maybe change my name, you know, those kinds of things, which, you know, is complex and a whole other kind of situation for parents. I think being able to put your, your reservations in the container and not, and not ignore them, but be able to kind of respect that what your, your child is telling you is important. Um, and that you will respect that and take it seriously. Yeah. So I really like that language of put in a container, hold respect for your own space, as well as for where your kids are. And what I'm, I'm realizing as you're, as I'm listening to you, that part of the conversation that I hear parents most concerned about is when there becomes a question about physical changes. So, so there, there are two issues that are coming. One is, Teenage years are the years where kids try things on. I'm going to be goth this week. I'm going to be, you know, this next week or next month or whatever. Kids try things on. They hang out with different friends. They try different activities. And so there is some concern that their kids are trying this on and it may or may not be as internal as it might be externally influenced. So that's one issue. I'm going to lay these two out and then we can figure out where we go. Okay. So that's one issue I hear coming up a lot. And then the other is sort of irreversibility of physical change. So Absolutely. which of those two feels like it's it's the place for us to go next? <laughs> Let's go with the first one. Okay. I would say, so in my practice, I do a lot of dialectical behavioral therapy, right? Otherwise known as DBT, everybody. DBT. And we have a great podcast on it if you haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, and DBT is... Awesome for almost everyone. But dialectics is defined as I'm going to look down at this piece of paper, which is the integration and synthesis of opposites, right? So using a DBT framework and the word dialectical, right, is that you may have your own experience of your child and their gender, right? Because you have a larger perspective than they do, right? Because their subjective experience, they didn't, it's not as long, right, as your own thing. And at the same time, they have whatever's going on for them right now, mm-hmm. right? And six months is a long time. As for a, for a 13-year-old right? or a 16-year-old. Yes, year old. And, it's, yeah. and it's not very long for us. And so there is, you know, kind of a balance there and being able to hold these seemingly opposite things, right? Your own may be, I'm going to use the word doubts, right? <laughs> About, you know, your kid's authentic gender identity and what your kid is telling you. Mm-hmm. And I think the most important thing in that situation is you don't have to get rid of your own stuff, right? I just don't think that really works, right? Trying to push out anxiety or depression or intrusive thoughts or, you know, feelings, beliefs, emotions. Like I just, I don't really They're think real. very They're well. Yeah, they're there. And I think that the more we try to push them out, sometimes the more they kind of dig their heels in. So being able to hold space for your own perspective on the situation. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, especially around puberty and those kinds of things, you know, and I've learned this from sanity school from you and Diane, which is that it is the your relationship is the foundation of all these interactions. And being able to say, you know, okay, I am listening to what you to what you're telling me. I'm respecting that you know your gender more than more than I do, right? And let's talk about the ways in which I can support you with that. And some are, you know, relatively benign, right? I mean, pronouns, yeah, pronouns, you know, easy enough. Yeah, names that aren't legally 
Yeah, Lily, things that are not legally, you know, change it. Yeah, I'm not saying that pronouns are easy to to change. They're difficult for parents, especially. And I don't want to gloss over that fact. But then, you know, which kind of segues into what you're talking about, which is, you know, making medical decisions, right? It's medical transition is an aspect of of transition can be. So, so let's hold that one second. So I want to sure. just wrap the first question. Of course. Which is yes. What you're saying is that parents have a range of perspectives about when a kid, particularly, and I'm going to, I'm really talking about teens, I think for the most part, because when, in my experience, what I'm saying, when kids come at four or eight, the parents are actually more likely to believe it, adhere to it than if the kids are teens, because we expect teens to try on so many different things. I agree. So when teens come to kids, it is not uncommon if it's coming kind of, it feels like it's coming out of the blue to have some doubt. And what I'm hearing you say is it's okay to have your perspective, to honor your perspective, to know that those feelings and thoughts are real. And the invitation is to respect their perspective and to give it space and to give it, to put your stuff, you know, to deal with your stuff on your own and to be present to whatever your kid's bringing to you and and listen and be available to it and support what your kid's going through. That's kind of one, that's, so when you said something a little bit ago, what I wrote down was there's doubt and there's concern. And so the way to deal with the doubt, right, in a way, if we're going to really encapsulate and simplify it, is to get your support in dealing with that, whether it's your coach or your therapist or your best friend or whatever it is, like put that in its space so that you can be present to your kid. Yes. Now, when it moves into that realm of medical shift, let's talk about concern and the parent's role in terms of medical management. Yes. Well, I mean, I think it's important that parents are really informed about about medical changes. And and I think that there are more resources than there have been. Right. There's there's a thing called the W path, which is it's a kind of standards of care. Right. For working with with queer youth, trans youth more specifically. And that can be a good resource. But, you know, your kid's doctor, a really good source of information about, you know, if you are going to make medical changes, you know, to your teens, like along with your teen, like you're going to sign off on that, I guess I should say, then you are then, you know, knowing what this means and having an, an, a discussion, right? Knowing that, have, making sure that your your child knows what is going on, right? If we do this, then, you know, these are the things that could be reversed. These are the things that could not be reversed, right? I mean, I personally, I just want to say kind of an, as an overarching thing with all of this is that I don't think it's very common for kids to change their mind. I know it seems like being trans is cool, maybe in some places. I think but- it's, it's generally the harder way to go. And I don't think that kids stumble upon it because they think it's cool. Generally, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but I think it's an exception to the rule. And I think Mm -hmm. when kids are realizing these things about themselves, they're not excited. Mostly. I mean, they're concerned. What is grandma going to say? How am I going to be accepted at school? And usually peers are way more accepting than adults. So it's usually the adults that are, are concerned. So that's why I think, you know, it's, I can, I want parents to know that because I think it's important is that I don't think it happens very often. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I think that it's not a road that I think kids are really excited to go down because it means a lot of unknowns. 
So let's just put a quick lens of neurodiversity onto it, yes. right? So, so there's that. And I, I hear you and concur that if a kid's going to get to the point where they're coming out to you and saying, you know, I want to do something different with my body, they've thought about it. It's not coming out of nowhere, right? Yes. The question I have is when you've got a kid who is on the autism spectrum or Asperger or ADHD or who, for whom thoughtful problem solving and potentially, um, yeah, let's just stick with problem solving may not be yet a strength is not yet as well developed. Is that different? Do we handle that differently when you've got a kid, you know, who is on the autism spectrum and may be accepted by friends for the first, may have a peer group of friends that they've never had before in their life, for example, or something like that. Do you see that differently? That's a good question. I don't know if I can really answer that. I don't know if I have the expertise to really answer that question. Sure. I think it does remind me that what I was talking about, the W path, the standards of care for trans kids medically, and as well as, you know, with therapy, um, you know, kids have to be being of the, like, if their identity has, has changed or their expression of their identity has changed or those kinds of things, there needs to be kind of a consistent cons- display of that. Right. And over time. And, oh yeah. Over time. Display. And I think the thing is, like, you know, at least six months or a year, I think it maybe just depends on, on kind of what context we're talking about, but you know, consistency over six months, consistency over a year, consistency over years, right, I think is, you know, pretty indicative of, of what's going on and kind of where the, where the train is headed. Mm-hmm. So I think that, but it is parents' jobs to be a bit of a gatekeeper. I kind of don't like that word, but to slow it down, right, to have that more developed prefrontal con- cortex, yeah. cortex to, to be able to, to say, okay, I hear what you're saying. You know, this is, you know, I'm going to go educate myself. I'm really going to try to use your pronouns. And, you know, I'm a little sad about your name, but I'm going to go talk to someone about how the name that I gave you that that I chose for you is is changing, which is completely valid. Um, But probably don't, don't mean don't do that with your, don't do that with your kid. Go find a friend to talk to that or me or something. Therapist or or someone get some help on that one. They can talk to you about that. And you know, so you, but you become part of a team, right? Mm-hmm. And you are kind of, you know, your child's adult leader in this team. And so being able to, to make informed decisions along with your child and your child's team, right? Being, yeah. you know, a pediatrician, a, you know, an endocrinologist, a, a therapist. therapist, right? I mean, ideally kind of all of those things maybe, or some combination of those. And so if your kid says, you know, I want to start on testosterone, and you're like, I don't recommend any parent say, yeah, yes, great, right away. Yes, let's just do this. <laughs> you know, it's it's our job as as parents to slow things down and to, you know, make this conscientious the conscious steps towards the next thing and make yeah. informed decisions about what this means. You know, when I first started parenting a complex kid or complex kids, one of the concepts that really stuck with me was. I'm being called upon to be a medical manager to make medical decisions about something about which I know very little yeah. and about which my providers turned out didn't know much more than I did, right? Which is very yeah. common. And yeah. so 
what I love about what you're saying, Cash, is it's okay to slow it down, not to stop the train. Yeah. To slow it down, to give yourself and everyone space to really understand what's going on, to respect what's going on and to make the next best decision, because there's a lot of decisions that happen over the course of this adventure. Let's call it that. This grief. Yeah. Whatever the word. I'm not sure. I don't like I struggle with calling it a problem or an issue or because it's not. It's it's not. But it is a difference because it's not the majority. Right. It's just, I mean, it's a societal issue, right? There's yeah. not alignment. We have a very specific kind of black and white view, mm-hmm. you know, with male and female. And I don't think that that is an accurate kind of picture of Fair. human gender. So, and I love that I never understood, never thought before that dialectical behavioral therapy is about opposite, which just brings you right back into the binary, which is kind of funny. But anyway, (laughs) right. So we are way over time. So let's, we're going to wrap this conversation for now. I'm going to ask if I can invite you back another time and we can continue on some level when the time is right. I would love that. Tell us a little bit about how people can find out more about you. And just to reiterate, you provide therapy for people in New Mexico and Florida and California and do a lot of work with people who are, how would you describe it? Gender people? Um, (laughs) How do you talk about it? The queer community? Well, I mean, you know, because I'm a therapist and I, you know, I do work with people with gender dysphoria, but not everyone who comes to me has gender dysphoria. Right. They get a a adjustment disorder diagnosis, more than likely. Um, But, you know, I work with people who are, you know, having, you know, need to process about gender stuff. Right. And, you know, sometimes sexuality stuff. Right. The combination of those two things. So I have a website, which is innovativefamilyservices.com. And we will put that in the show notes. Great. And. You can probably just Google, Google cash. Yeah, well, you'll be able to find, on the find cash in this in the show notes. And you also do consulting for parents everywhere. I do, yes. And before we wrap, and as I say, we are well over time, but that's cool because it's been a really important conversation. I've been very looking forward to having it very much. Is there anything else you want to either highlight or something we haven't shared that you want to make sure you share today? I think... You know, balance is kind of a, a constant, right, in our lives that we're trying to achieve. And I really talk a lot about alignment, right? How to get our kids who kind of, you know, if, if they're a complex kid of some sort or another, they're kind of not in alignment with their surroundings. And so that's its own issue, right? And then mm-hmm. there's kind of this, you know, often these gender sexuality stuff kind of goes hand in hand with that sometimes. And really looking for alignment. You know, my kid is, if your kid is out of alignment or you're out of alignment or anyone's out of alignment with their surroundings, there's issues, right? Mm -hmm. And the more that they can become kind of more in alignment with themselves and that that can become more in alignment with society is really the name of the game. That is my entire job <laughs> right? <laughs> to try to help kind of facilitate that. And, and, you know, that's, looks different for each person that I work with, but I think looking at it, at, you know, as far as balance and alignment are, you know, two important things to remember in this kind of realm. I love that. You know, in the, in the coaching realm, we talk a lot about the distinction between alignment and agreement. I'm not sure if we talk about it in Sandy school, but, you know, 
our modern world, we often start with agreement and then we try to convince each other of something. <laughs> and right. when you're when you're looking towards alignment, you're getting a vision of a shared goal. And that alignment may be, we want this kid to grow up to be a happy, healthy adult. We want this kid to feel comfortable in their own skin. And if you can find that alignment with your partner, with your kid around what do you want for each other, then you're not arguing over agreement and you can move forward to find the balance you're talking about. So I really love that. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Last quick question. Do you have a favorite quote or motto that you love that you want to share? Yeah, that my kids and I have a motto, which is some days are better. Some days are worse. Look for the blessing instead of the curse. Be positive, stay strong and get enough rest. You can't do everything, but you can do your best. So Aww, I'm not so sure where that comes from, but it is, uh, it's something that even on my darkest days, I'm like, this is so cheesy and I'm going to do it anyway. Cause it makes me I feel better. <laughs> I used to wear a necklace all the time. I, I still wear it. Some it's called Gamze Yavor, which is this too shall pass. And that's kind of the concept that I'm hearing. So will you share it one more time? So it's um, some days are better. Some days are worse. Look for the blessing instead of the curse. Be positive, stay strong get enough rest. You can't do everything, but you can do your best. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So Cash, thank you for being here and for the work you're doing in the world and the people, the families you're supporting are better for having access to being with you. So likewise, Elaine. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in, for listening, for struggling or managing or curious or whatever brings you to this conversation. What we do as parents and as providers in navigating life with complex kids, it makes a difference. The more we wrestle with and engage in these conversations, the better for, for all of us and the better for society. So thanks for what you're doing. Um, our guest has been Cash Ashby, and um, you can find out more about them on the show notes. Thanks, everybody. Have a great time, great week, and we'll see you on the next one. Take care. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.